Hi everyone, I'm Summer. I'm Carrie. And this is Popsia Podcast. I'm nervous. How <laughs> to be nervous be fun. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> oh my god! What the hell just happened? <laughs> what the hell? What is happening? <laughs> um, make sure you come back. We're gonna do this bi-weekly. So make sure you come back to talk to, to us more about you know, sex, drugs, and self-improvement. <laughs> Welcome back, y'all. Uh, today we're joined by Molly Murphy Tyndall, um, who I will forever be indebted to for uh, giving me the terms decentralized cult. <laughs> um, so today we're going to be talking about our experiences growing up in evangelicalism and our deconstruction of our faith and, and all of those fun things, surviving the cult. Hi, this is Summer interrupting here before we really even get started, um, just to cover a few things. First, I want to let everybody know that this is the first episode in a series. Um, we sat down with Molly. Um, to talk about this issue because we've been promising everyone we would talk about our ex-evangelical journeys um, and the conversation was just so great that we ended up recording like two and a half hours um, of content and we are definitely not going to try to make you sit through that in one sitting so we are splitting it up into multiple episodes and still on the bi-weekly schedule to give you a breather in between um, which brings me to the content warnings. If you have religious trauma, this may be something um, that you should um, listen to with care. Um, and uh, while I do think it is beneficial to hear the stories of others and to know that you're not alone, please do make sure you have proper support if you plan to do that. Um, if you can't, we... Um, we fully understand and we will certainly welcome you back when we move on to our next topic. Um, and the second content warning is just me, Summer, asking that you, if you are listening to this and you are a member of my family, that you please stop here. Um, I love you all, but um, I am very honest and vulnerable in this episode as in all the others. However, I do expect that this particular one will be upsetting to my family. Um, you already know that I'm an apostate. You probably don't need to hear my specific criticisms about you and or your faith. So um, I would just ask that you kindly respect my wishes and um, go watch a different video and, um, you know, come. I guess come back when we move on to a different topic if you like, but this one is probably not for you. Thank you. <laughs> so um, I guess we should probably start by like defining where each of us were in there because otherwise we're gonna have people like, oh, they're not all the same, you know, yes, we understand there's different denominations and everybody's got a different flavor of the Kool-Aid. Um, so, where do where where were you, Molly? So, my family ended up in sort of a hodgepodge of different spaces, uh, where 
they would identify with evangelicalism and especially that the church that they attend now, the one that's um, kind of a creation from the churches, a church that have, has existed for about 60 years, it's definitely like strongly evangelical. Um, but the problem with saying it's only evangelical is that a lot of evangelical evangelicalism is fundamentalism. Uh, it's just, it might look more global oriented. It might look a little bit less white originally, like, but um, it's still pretty fundamental in its theology and its doctrine, and then often how that theology gets lived out um, by its adherents. So I think there's a big difference between like evangelical churches that have somewhat of like somewhat of a diverse population or that live in somewhat larger cities, um, where a lot of the adherents might not homeschool, versus an evangelical church where a good number of the congregation is made up of homeschool families that are often more steeped in fundamentalism. And part of that shift is it's not so obvious today what fundamentalism looks like as far as how it dresses and what it listens to, what it participates in, because a lot of that has become nicer in the last 10 years than it used to be. So it's a little bit easier for evangelicals and fundamentalists to look nicer and more mainstream than they used to, which is part of, I think, what makes it dangerous. So my family was non-denominational, non-denominational, Bible church, evangelical, fundamentalist, homeschool. And to add to that, it's also Calvinist. So it believes in like predestination to, it, I don't even remember all of them, but famously Calvinism has five, um, five attributes called TULIP, T-U-L-I-P, and that's an acronym for five different doctrinal uh, concepts, and I don't remember them anymore. Um, so that also gives it a very specific flavor so it's kind of like you start with your baseline of evangelicalism and then you go through the deli counter and pick and put on your tray what other traumas you want to undergo. <laughs> uh, so in, in a nutshell, that's kind of what it is. I think that's a good, that's a good metaphor. <laughs> so my family was, I, I was a preacher's kid in a interdenominational church. Dad was very insistent that it was interdenominational, not non-denominational, because apparently that fucking matters <laughs> to some people. Um, but my grandmother was, oh, it gets so convoluted. So she was raised apostolic, right? So can't cut your hair, women can't wear pants. Women very, very, very much um, not as human as men. Um, and so she sort of moved away from that a little bit in that she did, I guess she was an apostolic feminist as much as you can be within that framework, right? So she, because she wanted to be a minister, right? So you can't be a minister. So, so like she moved out of the church in that way so she could be a minister and then later she she would wear pants but like not in church until she got like really until she was elderly and like physically was having you know um so it's just so bizarre there's like a whole um so she was very fundamentalist very much about you know literal interpretation of the king james version of the bible because that's the only one that counts and, uh, <laughs> and um, so there was a, a lot of uh, theology 
disagreements between the two of them. Um, she was very much Jesus' name, which for those who don't know, um, there's this whole undercurrent about Jesus' name versus the Trinity, and they they each call each other the Antichrist. It's super fun and heavily anti-Catholic, and <laughs> um, so we had like this whole meld happening. Um, we did not homeschool probably because my mom was working because my dad's disabled, so he was not able to work. Um, so mom went back to school when I was uh, in elementary school and she was working. And so he only has an eighth grade education. So he wasn't able to homeschool. I really think that is the only thing that saved me from that. Um, because we did, we knew a lot, a lot of people in the other churches that we fellowshiped with that had, uh, very that were very strict homeschool families um send corporal families um yeah super fun time how about you carrie what was what, what what were your people um my family we like church hopped a lot um we i remember going like to a lot of like the baptist churches um, we went to Church of Christ for a little bit <laughs> and then went back to like Baptist. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, a lot of my like extended family is Pentecostal. Um, like skirt, buns, not allowed to leave the house without like their husband or dad. No makeup. No makeup at all. Um, and they live out in like the middle of nowhere in their house with like no TV or anything. I don't know if that's like just them or what but um i was not homeschooled mostly because everybody in my family had to work um we were not able to afford somebody to stay home to like homeschool me um yeah like my family is very extremely religious but they really enjoyed the church hopping for some reason because they would nitpick and find something wrong with one of the churches and then oh go try gosh. another one and yes. then get mad at that church and then go to another one so it was it was a lot <laughs> i've seen so many churches split over mm -hmm. silly absolutely silly disagreements like i remember one of the churches we went to the pastor was asked to step down because he had been taking the tithe money uh <laughs> and the church found out about it so he was asked to step down and then he left the county uh, because he was getting like death threats about it apparently oh. so it was a lot <laughs> wow <laughs> so you reminded me i didn't mention a couple things uh -huh. my dad's a worship pastor and he's been the worship well worship leader Right. He's been the worship leader at uh, the church that I grew up in, the, that they still attend uh, since 2007, so it's been 15 years. And as of about 10-ish years ago, it became a part-time paid position, which I mean, he puts in enough work that he does deserve to be paid. But it also shows like when you come out of evangelicalism, from fundamentalism, high demand religion as a, a nice a nice blanket term, I think, for it is high demand religion. I learned that from Brad Onishi and Dan Miller from Straight White American Jesus podcast. Um, but if you have these, if your parents have these financial ties to the church, or if there's this, a lot of this inertia involved, 
um, I think it, it makes that deconstruction, the deconstructed relationship look a little bit different too. Um, like with your parents or your family being involved in ministry. Um, and then the other thing I was just going to add is it sounds like what we're all talking about, regardless of the flavor, if it's interdenominational, non-denominational, church hopping, it's all high demand religion that creates mm -hmm. these, um, even if they're different, it creates these structures of control, which if you look at like the bite model of cults, um, it doesn't, they don't, all these flavors don't necessarily fit all the bite model for cults, but even one family can have enough of those attributes that it becomes like a family cult or a local church cult or these uh, cults of influence even. So that was all I was going to add there. Well, that's good. I. It's also one thing a lot of people don't realize when you're, especially for the families involved in ministry or even the ones who aren't, but are, you know, there every time the door is open, because, um, you know, there's those families too. Um, your entire social network is inside that church. Mm -hmm. That is really, really hard when you try to leave. You people literally, it's inherently coercive because people are literally having to choose like you're starting your life entirely over, essentially, mm -hmm. if you leave that. Um, and that's hard. And there's a lot of people who can't ever do it. Um, and it's even becomes an even bigger problem when abuses are happening within the churches, because there's, if you don't have supports outside of that, what do you do? Because most of these, uh, the teachings doctrinally, there's a whole lot of um, victim blaming that happens in abusive situations. Um, when you get into things like word of faith teachings, where basically everything is, you know, you pray it into existence. If something bad happens to you, it's your own, it's your fault, essentially. I mean, they don't ever use that phrase, but when you start distilling down what they're saying, that's what they're saying. Um, IBLP does it a lot too. Um, you know, purity culture is rape is the foundation for rape culture, you know, as far as victim blaming. And so if that's all you have, if your entire support network is within that church, what the fuck are you supposed to do? You're stuck. It's really, really hard to get out of that. Um, well, and a lot of the doctrines are just fundamentally coercive and manipulative. Mm -hmm. Like the doctrine of original sin, even though a lot of people that consider that to be pretty strong orthodoxy, and there's debates multiple directions, but you know, fundamental, like Christian fundamentalism really started coming into being in the 19th, in the late 19th, early 20th century, especially in the 1920s with certain Bible translations, certain conferences. Um, and then that fundamentalism, some people felt like it was too strong. And so that's when evangelicalism kind of sprung out in the 50s and 60s before it becomes politicized in the 70s as a response to integration and desegregation and the civil rights movement. But um, a lot of those doctrines are just fundamentally abusive because you look at the small child and my mom would do this oh they're such a little sinner when they're crying because that's their only response um, and their only way to communicate that they're hungry but that's not so crying is therefore a sin showing emotion is a sin so when you believe in the doctrine of um, original sin and then you call everything a sin every human behavior is sinful right. 
and no one can ever exist without that. And that's the point is that's what keeps you tied to it. And like you said, there's mm -hmm. when you have actual abuses, which you may or may not recognize until you're out of the church, like I did, um, like you find out later, oh, when an older man constantly talks about you to you and to your family and to your um, your partner, uh, that's not okay. And I didn't know that until I was like 24. Um, but that had been happening since I was like 14. And like, that's not okay. And I didn't know that at the time. So. Oh, yeah. the number of child brides that come out of these churches. They have I no was idea. almost one. I was married at 18. I was dating my five-year-older uh, now husband when I was six, starting at 16. Mm. Um, we'd known each other for like 10 years before that. But, you know, if he wasn't who he is, it could have been really dangerous. Um, and then my other siblings also got married to people from like the church or homeschool communities. And they were also married in their teens. Now, there wasn't the distance between them like there was with my partner and me. Um, but they're still like uh, most of the kids in my family have gotten married before 20 years old. Oh. Yeah, I was 18. Um, I yeah, I, I mean, the number of um, youth pastors that I have seen marry their whatever you would call that. I mean, they're not students when they're in your youth group, but, you know, people people from their youth group but that's okay because they're married I'm like they were grooming them at they, they were grooming this child but it's okay because they got married so that fixes everything that's one good thing that my parents church has done is they always have a married couple lead the youth group it's one of the only times that women are involved in ministry directly that isn't like the nursery um, in like an overseeing part of ministry. And that's, that is one safeguard that they have put in place that I'm really grateful for. Cause that's I mean, what? Oh, that's, I was going to say, that's how my church was when I was in high school. We had a married couple lead our youth group. Um, and they literally said it was because they wanted them to model like what a godlike relationship was for us. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> None of my family did any of it, right? None of us got married. Um, my mom and both of my aunts had kids out of wedlock. So. Oh, I hate that phrase. The church is all mad at us forever. So. But that's the yeah. thing is if you deviate, then you're constantly punished. Even if you, even if you make restitution or you have forgiveness, like you'll always be seen as that. So the church hopping also makes sense in light of that because there's never going to be a place where there isn't judgment just for you existing mm -hmm. where you exist. Right. Yeah. Which makes sense oh, yeah. looking back at it because like Summer and I are both from like smaller towns and like in our community, like everybody knows each other. So it's yes. hard to get away from that mm -hmm. anyway. But like going to the churches that weren't super big was also really hard because everybody already knew but then when it started getting to the point of people asking questions is when we would leave or like when they would find my grandparents would find something wrong with the church. Usually when questions are getting asked is when we would leave. So, and especially mm -hmm. like with me, I obviously dress differently. I've always acted differently. I would get bullied a lot at the church, but that was never a good reason to leave. But as soon as somebody asked, like, if I was dating like a godly person or if I was doing such and such and my family would say no, it would start getting really bad and so we would leave, which all makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. 
did you all i guess carrie you didn't identify as like the model kid the one that like followed all the rules summer did you comply with everything no <laughs> uh my my parents other daughter was the compliant one um i was the opposite i um for whatever reason i guess i was born with this uh, <laughs> uh i do not have the inclination to pretend i think well you know what i don't think that's true i think when i was little a, a small small child i did try but at a certain point in there i recognized that it's never going to be good enough there is always going to be criticism there was always like there was always something right and so at a certain point i decided i was going to be myself and i wasn't gonna i wasn't going to i guess i set my own morality in my in my mind like i was like if i'm going to be ashamed of it then i shouldn't do it right so i'm gonna do these things and i'm not going to be ashamed of them and that really really caused a lot of drama in my small town because not only was I a preacher's kid and you're not supposed to do that and it's very shameful, but I wasn't willing to take that, to be ashamed of it, you know? Um, I almost got kicked out of a class in high school because um, the teacher was shaming this girl who had gotten pregnant. Um, and the girl happened to be my cousin, but that I would have said the same thing, uh, you know, anyway, they, you know, like you, if this was the teacher's niece, I'm like, you really need to be there to support her, not be shaming her, and particularly in front of high school students. Like, what are you doing? You're a grown woman. Why, why are you acting like this? Well, she should be ashamed. She's out there having sex. I'm like, okay. Do you think there is a scene? I said I could out of every single because of course we know everybody tiny school right at the time there was like two hundred less than two hundred kids pre K through twelve okay so we know everybody um, it's like out of every student that comes into your classroom in and out every day I would guess about two of them aren't sexually active currently and I know that because I know every one of your students <laughs> and I'm like and I don't even guarantee that those two aren't they just may be really good at hiding it I have no idea but those two maybe with all of the rest of them I've heard their stories I know where they've been and she was shocked and upset and she almost kicked me out of her she wanted to kick me out of her class for the rest of the year but I'm like I'm not and because she tried to tell me she's like well you should be ashamed of that I'm like I'm not I'm I'm a human and I'm doing, you know, this is normal human activity and I'm not ashamed of doing that and you're not going to make me be ashamed of it. So that really set people, people really <laughs> had a problem with that. They still talk about it to this day, like, because I wasn't ashamed of those things. Do I think every 14, 15 year old needs to be having sex? No, not necessarily. But I don't think that shaming people is the way to go either. And so somewhere in there, about 14, 15, I found my voice and I was, I refused to be that compliant person. And it, and, you know, it was a problem for people. The last time I went to church with my grandmother, I had already left the church by this point. Um, I went to visit with her because she asked me to, it was a candlelight, you know, service for New Year's, right? Where you have church all night, you know? 
And um, she called me out from the pulpit in the opening prayer, you know, God, please bring Summer back and save her soul and, and the whole thing. I'm like, yeah, I'm done. Don't feel the need to be polite to you about this anymore. Um, so, and then later she told me I was going to hell and taking my children with me for taking them to our um, traditional ceremonies. Um, so. So when did, <laughs> Carrie, when did you officially like identify as leaving the church? Um, not did you for, do that while you were still forced to attend or did you do that later? Um, I think like when I was in middle school, like I got bullied a lot at church, but then in high school, I tried to conform to like what the image of that they wanted from me. Um, and I tried really, really hard. It wasn't for me. Like I was sexually active. My mom was pagan, like practicing and I tried so hard didn't work out because that's just not for me um <laughs> so when I went to college I tried church for a little while and it just, I could not do it like learning the things that I started learning like when I left my hometown and like honestly like working on becoming like not racist and not bigoted and not doing all of these things like church just didn't fit so I just stopped going so I think I finally like left completely when I was about 20 21 and I haven't been back since so it's been a journey and a process <laughs> it it is a journey because you know and that's what you've been raised with conditioned with you really are having to deprogram all of that and honestly especially in more isolated church structures um you may not even know that much exists outside of that oh, right no. like we i didn't know okay did y'all got did y'all have like okay so all of these groups have like the group speak right there's the phrases that everybody knows what they mean and only they're really only happen inside these 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 churches right like you've got your discernment and the brothers and sisters in christ and saints and all that stuff like we literally i had people i didn't i didn't know it was weird okay like you literally had to call everybody it was brother you know oh brother dean or sister you know tracy like i was probably i was probably in double digits before i realized oh wait a second they, that's not their names like what what are we what is this we're doing that we're calling them this um i didn't know that that wasn't something everybody did or that every church did um there's you know and you're told like we're doing this stuff because god says right but then you're supposed to be separate from the world you know so that it's set up where everything that's different is bad. And so it like instills this fear or apprehension about anything else too. And so it's like even trying to be willing to explore some of that can be hard. So, um, I, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna jump on that point. But no, go ahead, go ahead. Early on after I had gotten married, I moved to Kansas with my partner um, James to put him through grad school in Kansas. So I we got married and moved within 10 days. It was a lot of change. It's really scary. 
I started trying to go to a church that was like exactly like the ones I grew up in. And after about a year, it just wasn't comfortable anymore. And this is 2015. So we're leading up to the 2016 election. And uh, the more I was out and simply just not in the same places, I had to make decisions for myself, which was terrifying and led to a lot of mental health issues because I never had to make decisions. I never was allowed to. Um, I read an article one day talking about Christianese and how there is this language and this coded, this heavy language. And because it's not understandable to anybody outside these circles, in order to be better Christians, we should reduce our use of Christianese. And it just made a lot of sense to me. I was like, yeah, saying uh, God willing, like my mom always did, instead of saying, yeah, I'll see you then, doesn't make any sense. I'm planning on being there. God can stop me if he wants to, but I'm planning on being there. And that's what I'm communicating to this person is that I'm going to be there. There's no reason to dress it up with a whole little phrase. There's no reason to say, take every thought captive, like a Bible verse, which is a really triggering statement for me, when really all you're saying is, hey, let's redirect those thoughts into something healthier. So that really was a jumping off point for my deconstruction that I, like looking back, realized, but at the time didn't understand because I was just trying to be a better, more accessible Christian. And like that my values would eventually lead me to like make the world a better place. Micah 6.8 was really important to me. Um, so anyways, about the language and the, the way that yeah. they come in, when you start to break that language, those language bonds, um, the world starts to open up and you to the world, I think. In a, not the bad world, but like the good world, like the world that actually right. exists, that isn't scary or that is scary, but we then have the tools to work through it. Mm -hmm. I think for me, the beginning of the deconstruction, though I didn't know that's what it would lead to at the time, was, you know, we were raised, you know, you quote unquote disciplined children, which for whatever reason, when they use the phrase discipline in all these churches I've been in, and there have been a lot, they don't mean discipline, they mean punishment. <laughs> it never means anything else. Like it doesn't mean the actual teaching kids for whatever reason. So, you know, we've been raised with the whole spare the rod thing, right? And you, if you don't beat your kids, you hate them. Of course, my dad had this whole um, rules about there's a difference between beating and spanking or whipping and, you know, different rules that somehow made hitting your kid better. Um, and which I wish people, more people would understand, like, you know, people are starting to become more aware of like to train up a child by the pearls, which came out like in the mid nineties, but this wasn't something new like that, that, in that instructional book for child abuse was not something new. James Dawson had been writing about it since like the seventies. Like this was very, very widespread and very accepted. Like this, these sorts of child abuses. For transmission, that's all they are. Exactly. And that's exactly what it was intended to be. Cause if people, I don't know how many people outside, if it, I, I, what is it? The, the family, is that what they call it? The, the document docu-series docu on Netflix right now? That's um, not one organization that's very DC based and operates within the high power, like high echelons, which is different. Right. It, it interacts with like the independent fundamentalist Baptist or mm -hmm. IBLP, but it's kind of its own thing. Right. But I do like how it tracks. It does touch on, on one of the episodes and I meant to go look it up and I forgot um, where it talks about the, the, the history of like focus on the family mm -hmm. and, um, Jay Seculo, what, what is his organization? Oh, Anyhow, yeah. And all of those and how, you know, I remember listening to it on Christian radio 20 years ago, 
you know, where they would talk about these things and they would talk about we're, we're, we're publishing books for this reason. Like we, we are doing these things to normalize these ideas in order to transmit them and spread them further. Um, I really need to go look up that episode because I, I really want to start referring people to it because it's, it's important. People think this just happened, but this has been happening for decades. Right. On YouTube, um, the creator Fundy Fridays. I love that one. I, yes, I've seen every episode at least once, sometimes more. <laughs> I was like, if, I tweeted about that because I was like, it's not just me. I, I, I didn't make this up in my head. This yes. is, and it's is so real. To know that. And, you know, she comes not from this group, but she catalogs it. And it's really nice that somebody is not is, is looking at this with like a very compassionate lens for, mm -hmm. for survivors and for the snark community at the same time. But she has a great episode on James Dobson um, that does a good job of tracking his history as well as connecting him to his um, like the political establishment of the family mm -hmm. research council, which used to be very heavily associated with focus on the family as their legislative arm. But now focus on the family has their own kind of political wing that's different from FRC. Yes, because of all of these goose splinter and splinter and splinter, because at a certain point they get to where they can't agree on something and they have to go somewhere else. Um, <laughs> I've been having so many recovered memories talking about like Christian radio. Like mm -hmm. I remember growing up, I lived with my grandparents for most of my life. My grandma would listen to that radio station every single morning getting ready for work and then she would preach at me about it all day long and when she got home from work she'd be like you know god just blessed me today because i listened to the show this morning and they said this and i was like are you sure you didn't just have a good day because you had a good day you know <laughs> like, what is yeah that? it's anything that my dad thinks of is god told him something um or see this is why i bristle and i know people think i'm overreacting i really bristle when people just randomly are like have a blessed day especially if you're doing your job like that's unprofessional first of all but the reason i i tend i have a visceral reaction to that is i remember 20 years ago listening to them literally telling that was the instruction they were giving people is to start infusing the the christian language into your everyday interaction it can open a door for you to witness it, and all of those things like to normalize that and so i do bristle every time i hear it i'm like what if i don't want to have a blessed day <laughs> i want a terrible day <laughs> when i still identified as christian back in 2019 i had a former friend and i called her former because i really tried for a long time to, you know, we, we already had differences. I was still a Christian, but, you know, I was a Christian dealing with mental health issues that identified as a, as a Democrat, progressive, leftist, which she didn't believe could even exist. And mm. she told me, she questioned my salvation because I didn't use Christianese. And I told her about the article. I told her why I intentionally didn't. But I was, I was very offended that it were, it's required to speak in an in-and-out group type of language in order to be part of this group. Mm -hmm. That that made me pretty angry. Um, you know, she had the privilege of going to a private Christian university, even though she couldn't she couldn't tell me what a footnote was and she didn't know what a footnote was in a book. She was going to a private university and thought her life and what her opinion was was so important to talk about. Um, but yeah, she had the audacity to be like, well, you don't sound like a Christian because you don't use these words enough. I'm like, not that I would have said that at the time, but now it's like, fuck that. <laughs> right. Because it's that whole, you have to be separate from the world thing. And uh, what were you going to say, Carrie? I think I cut you off. 
I lost it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Please. My ADD, I start. Um, Good. All right, same. It left <laughs> me and it'll come back. Probably. So how did you mention mental health? How did y'all's churches <laughs> characterize mental health issues? <laughs> Do you want my rant on biblical counseling after caring? <laughs> my family is very prayed away. All of the churches we went to prayed away. My mom put me in therapy when I was in seventh grade because of a lot of trauma that I'd had in my life. Um, and my grandparents told her to pull me out because God told them that he would heal me if I just went to church. Yeah. Like, I was self-harming at the time and like drinking and doing all this stuff. I was like 12 and my grandparents didn't know that. And so it was just for me, like being told that God would heal me if I just went to church. It was really hard to hear. And my mom like was relying on them financially. So we couldn't just like not listen to them. So it was, it was a wild ride for middle school. Wow. Like most churches and most high demand Christian organizations, like the churches that my parents chose to be in since they got married in 1993 have all seemed to be in the same type that rejects mental health as a phenomenon. And if someone has it really bad, like say bad bipolar, bad schizophrenia, something that really disrupts their life and their ability to produce and tithe. Um, then maybe they'll consider like Christian counseling. But a few years back, probably about 10, 12 years back, my parents' church uh, got into what's called biblical counseling, but specifically certified biblical counseling by an organization that used to be called NANC and now is called ACBC. And it's specifically nesthetic counseling. And its philosophy is that it comes from a guy named Jay Adams in the 1960s and 70s. He was very upset with uh, secular psychology and secular counseling, which he said excused all sorts of sin and wasn't demonstrated in any sort of way. And he created this entire theory, nuthetic counseling, to basically say that everything that people face can be dealt with with the Bible and pretty much most of what people endure and deal with is sin, their own sin, not the sin of someone else, but their own sin. And so my family's church has my relatives. I'm really trying to work on calling them my relatives. My relatives' church um, is very into this to the point where my dad was looking at getting uh, certified with the program. There's several other people that have been certified through the church, and one of the elders that was really important to my family for a long time. Um, he's been certified for like 10 years, so I knew that when I, I I'd been self-harming since I got married um, at 18. And when I got, when I came back from Kansas and we moved back in with my parents for financial reasons, um, I knew that if I got counseling at that church, they would tell me to stay home, be a wife, pop kids out, not read Harry Potter or anything else I was interested in. Um, and which at the big at the time, it was just going to be a very big judgment on Harry Potter and any kind of literature that wasn't the Bible. Mm -hmm. And uh, n not go to school, not go to college like I desperately wanted to. And that they would address everything from that basis. So when I started dealing with depression and anxiety, um, well, I've been dealing with them for a while, but there was no answer. And my mom um, is heavily anti-medication and I was really relying on my parents emotionally since my husband worked in Georgia um, and lived there for a short period of time. Um, so I avoided medication for two years while like 
heavily depressed and heavily suicidal because I was trying to obey and be compliant and fit in and go back to their church and all of that. So yeah, it's, it's terrible. And the first evangelical church I heard that mentioned mental health, like they mentioned it in a prayer and prayed for the people who were depressed and had anxiety. It was the first time I heard that at a different church, a Presbyterian church. And I just like lost it during the prayer because I'd never, ever been seen by a church before. Um, anyways, long story, but the nithetic counseling is really important because there's like biblical counseling and then there's Christian counseling and then there's counseling. But biblical counseling is specifically a problem because there's no guidelines for like HIPAA and consent and privacy. Um, you're usually meeting with pastors, so there's always a power dynamic issue, especially along gendered lines or sexual orientation lines. And because everything will be a sin, um, ultimately there's no resolution that isn't about having enough faith or being better. And I term it as its own kind of word of faith or faith healing process. Like your care, your grandparents saying that if you just go to church, you'll get better, which is kind of a name it and claim it word of faith kind of theory. This is very similar. It's basically, if you just have enough doctrine and theology and perform enough, you'll get better. Um, so they, like the church that I grew up in likes to laugh at word of faith, likes to laugh at the name it and claim it um, charismatics, but they do the same thing, just dressed up with a few more degrees and certifications. And it's hard to like feel like you can debate it with somebody when they have like the certifications to do right. what they're doing. and it just further like pushes people away to not talk about it and shut up about it and and they're the voice of god in a lot of ways they like you said those certifications pastors have education like when they're not like lay community pastors but even then like they're still in this powerful position and they mm -hmm. really do speak for god just like our parents create the world for us and create God for us in a lot of ways, especially when we're really small. So yeah, you can't push back. There's no sort of equal footing for having negotiation there. There's not. Our church was, I'm sorry, I just knocked my camera. There we go. Um, the demons are coming for me, y'all. <laughs> Don't forget to like and subscribe to the channel. And if you want to make sure you don't miss any of the uploads, be sure to turn on those notifications so you, uh, you will know as soon as those go up. Um, also, like us on social media at Hapoxia Podcast. Or uh, the easiest way is to go to our website, hapoxia.com. That's H-O-P-O-K-S-I-A.com. And the links to all the socials and all the podcast feeds are right there. And we just want to thank you all for sharing your time with us, hanging out with us, and we hope to um, spend more time with you in the future.